Welcome to Pick You Doc on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. My name is Pradeep Kamath and I'm a pediatric critical care physician and an associate professor of pediatrics at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta Emory School of Medicine. And my name is Rahul Demania, a current second year pediatric critical care fellow. Our episode today is dedicated to PICU applications of lipid emulsion therapy. We are delighted to be joined by Dr. Kazi Ziad, Associate Professor, Emergency Medicine, Emory School of Medicine, Director of the International Toxicology Fellowship Program at Emory University, Assistant Medical Director of the Georgia Poison Center, Board Member of the American College of Medical Toxicology, and the current President of the Middle East and North Africa Clinical Toxicology Association. I will now turn it over to Rahul to start a patient case. A 14-year-old girl is admitted to the pediatric intensive care unit after acute ingestion of the calcium channel blocker amlodipine in a suicide attempt. After initial fluid resuscitation in the emergency department, the patient is transferred to the PICU for norepinephrine infusion and high-dose insulin therapy. She continues to have profound hypotension. Lipid emulsion therapy is considered in this patient given her ingestion of amlodipine. Dr. Kazi, we are so excited that you are here today to give us a little bit more background on how lipids can be applicable in the pediatric intensive care unit. How did lipid emulsion therapy begin? Do you mind giving a brief background? I'll be happy to. Uh, Lipid emulsion therapy was uh, first recognized by Dr. Guy Weinberg, who's uh, an anesthesiologist in uh, the state of Illinois in Chicago. He was actually uh, looking at, um, it, was, it was kind of a serendipity moment for him. He was looking at uh, patients that had some uh, metabolic defects in their, uh, uh, in their uh, TCA cycle, in their Krebs cycle. And some of these patients had some sensitivity to uh, local anesthetics. And he thought that this was related maybe to the lipid, to lipids somehow. And he thought that maybe he could... Uh, give this lipid emulsion to uh, precipitate this, uh, this deficiency, this metabolic deficiency, and uh, precipitate the toxicity from these anesthetics. And to his surprise, he found that instead of uh, exacerbating the toxicity, the toxicity was uh, treated. So that was the anecdotal uh, the, the story behind uh, this therapy, that he's actually still working on it and you can uh, review some of his work and the data that he collects on his website, lipidrescue.org. What an is- interesting story that gives a great background as to how lipid emulsion therapy uh, ended up becoming integrated into the toxicology world. Do we know exactly how lipids work? What is the proposed mechanism? I think there are a couple of theories out there that uh, are usually quoted by uh, toxicologists as well as uh, other uh, specialists when we uh, discuss this therapy. Um, one of the major ones is that being a lipid, uh, uh, you know, emulsion, you can administer it intravenously and create a lipid compartment, uh, imaginary lipid compartment in the intervascular space. And this lipid compartment would attract and extract lipid-soluble toxins 
away from the uh, organs where they are uh, acting and causing their toxicity. So um, this is why this therapy is recommended for lipid-soluble poisons or drugs that are uh, causing toxicity. Another, uh, other theories uh, have been uh, promulgated, including a role in the um, providing better metabolic substrate to the heart, um, uh, you know, providing additional benefits to the organs that are, uh, you know, where these toxins are acting. But essentially, the, I think the primary uh, theory that is being, uh, that is recognized is the one with the lipid sink. Interesting. And so just to summarize for our listeners, the, the fact that the lipids are going to remain very strongly in the intravascular uh, component and neutralize these uh, toxins, um, that is kind of how the lipid sink uh, phenomena uh, works. When we think about employing lipids in the clinical realm, where are specific circumstances where we can consider this therapy? And in particular, what would be the dosing range uh, that would be optimal? So the best evidence for the efficacy of this therapy comes to us from the local anesthetic systemic toxicity, also referred to as LAST. The classic case would be a patient receiving bupivacaine injection for regional anesthesia, with an inadvertent exposure to this uh, anesthetic in the in the intravenously. Um, another scenario would be a scenario with lidocaine, where you will develop this uh, potentially life-threatening toxicity that we are all uh, concerned about when we use these drugs. So that would be uh, one of the major indications for this therapy. And I think... Um, Interlipids are now uh, essential for an anesthesiologist performing these regional anesthesia, uh, anesthesia procedures. The additional applications of this therapy have really, uh, uh, you know, increasingly reported in, in the recent years, primarily with drugs that are lipid soluble. This again brings us back to our lipid sink theory. And if you have a lipid soluble drug, for example, in your case here, amlodipine, then using this uh, therapy when the patient is critically ill and has not responded to your standard advanced therapies is certainly uh, uh, worthwhile. And uh, certainly uh, many experts would agree to using these, this medication, which is um, you know, still not approved for this indication by the Food and Drug Administration in the US. However, is used here off-label for compassionate use in these critically ill patients. Very interesting. And so for clinicians, it will be very important to uh, look for in the history any element of local anesthetic use, especially when the differential is uh, going to be very broad um, in, with the, the initial patient presentation. And luckily for us, you know, these cases are usually known. So like, you know, the couple of cases that I've had an uh, opportunity to be uh, involved with, and I've actually reported recently on a lidocaine uh, toxicity uh, with a procedure that, so I knew this was being used. Uh, the first case, the one I reported was a tumescent liposuction procedure using high doses of lidocaine administered uh, in the subcutaneous uh, uh, space for the, for the liposuction. 
The other case I had was an injection of uh, uh, bepivacaine uh, for a dental block. Uh, so those are two examples of cases where we, we, we knew. Now, in, in more commonly for a medical toxicologist or for intensive care uh, specialist like yourself, if you are um, working uh, in the ICU, for example, and you have an overdose, here you are basically going to uh, rely on published case reports, your understanding of the drug that is ingested, you know, if it's lipid-soluble or not. And uh, clinically, the patient, you know, is critically ill and they have not responded to uh, your therapies and you're about to make a decision, you know, what to do. Preferably, you want to give this before cardiac arrest starts. But, you know, years ago, when, when we started hearing about this therapy, uh, the dogma was to reserve this to a cardiac arrest patient. And then it moved to pericardiac arrest. And I think now it's probably moved even a bit uh, away from pericardiac arrest and to a stage where you've failed to have a difference with your standard therapies. Uh, of course, these standard therapies are advanced therapies. For example, in the amlodipine case, I imagine this, uh, this, this child had received high-dose insulin therapy, which is kind of a standard of care now for the, these calcium channel blocker overdoses that are uh, developing cardiogenic shock. So um, in addition to calcium or in addition to, uh, you know, uh, vasopressors, often maxed out doses of vasopressors, and then you wonder, you know, what, can I, what else can I do? And then you have to make that decision. Got it. And so this uh, lipid therapy, um, just like you're saying, is sometimes going to be a last resort, um, especially if the patient is not uh, responding. Dr. Kamat, I know in the ICU, we use a lot of propofol. And propofol is a milky substance and does have some lipid component. Um, could propofol ever be a substitute for lipid emulsion? No, I think, and uh, Dr. Kazi can uh, add to this. I think uh, the lipid content of propofol is not enough to act like a lipid sink. Additionally, in a kid who is about to uh, be in this state of pericardiac arrest, uh, I'm not sure that propofol, which itself is a negative inotrope, would be the best drug to use. But I will defer it to Dr. Kazi for his expert comments about propofol as a lipid sink. I agree with your uh, your assessment, uh, uh, Dr. Kamat. I think, you know, um, the, the idea is that it's not a very difficult drug to get. You know, if you have propofol, well, not propofol, really. If you have the uh, some of the uh, uh, lipids that you use for TPN, for total parental nutrition, that means your pharmacy is potentially going to have uh, this lipid emulsion therapy as well available. And in the past, it used to be located in the pharmacy. Now, some emergency departments actually stock it in the emergency, in, in you know, locally in the uh, emergency department-based pharmacy. So now we have decided in uh, our patient to use lipid therapy. What are some of the things that we should watch out for, as well as complications of uh, intralipid therapy, which you would like to highlight? So I think the first um, lesson that I've learned is to uh, know where to find the appropriate uh, guideline for the dosing of this, uh, this uh, therapy, because it's not frequently used. I don't expect people to remember the dose. So looking it up, um, either through your poison center, for example, our poison center uh, has that uh, 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 guideline readily available. Lipidrescue.org also has uh, that uh, dosing, but essentially it's a bolus followed by an infusion. The bolus can be repeated if you need to, uh, you know, if, if there's no uh, 
visible uh, you know result and the lesson that i've learned with uh, with lipid uh, emulsion therapy is that the infusion you should think about limiting the duration of the infusion because it can cause some fluid overload if you keep it going so now and actually i believe that um, lipidrescue.org has has um, um, I don't know when they did that, but I do see now on their website that they are uh, limiting the duration. You know, you want to limit it maybe up to 30 minutes because I have seen patients, uh, I have seen a patient that was an amlodipine overdose that required the, uh, that I decided to give uh, lipid emulsion therapy, did not have a drastic improvement as I hoped, and then um, developed fluid overload with, uh, you know, uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome requiring dialysis or CRRT, you know, uh, continuous venovenous hemofiltration. And in that case, uh, at the time when I used this, uh, this drug several years ago, uh, the uh, CVVH procedure was not uh, easy to do because the circuit was alarming because of uh, clogging in the system which was not real, uh, you know, the lipid is going to cause the blood to be lipemic and that can be misinterpreted by the alarms in the machine as a, as a something in the circuit. So thinking ahead of the results of your therapy, you know, hopefully there'll be a drastic improvement, but if there isn't, you know, you may have to deal with some of the consequences of administering this therapy. Another consequence which I have not really uh, seen uh, major issues with is uh, interference with diagnostic laboratory tests that could be affected by the lipemic blood. There's the theoretical um, risk of, uh, uh, you know, uh, lipid emboli or some sort of uh, pancreatitis from the uh, high level of lipids in the, in the vascular space, uh, you know, pancreatitis. Uh, those I have not seen personally. Um, I've only used uh, lipid, therapy, lipid emulsion therapy directly myself about maybe three or four times in the last uh, you know, decade or so. Um, certainly, you know, uh, I have not uh, seen them except what I just told you, the, the fluid overload. Uh, however, they are reported in the literature uh, and you can find them uh, if you do a literature search. It's also listed in various uh, references. Absolutely. So the summary is to really focus on the uh, systemic toxicities of uh, lipid therapy and in these already clinically tenuous uh, patients uh, watching out for uh, fluid overload. Uh, Dr. Kazi, are there any final pointers or clinical pearls you would like to highlight for our listeners today regarding lipid therapy? I think there are several, uh, several uh, uh, pearls that I would like to just leave you with. One of them is that Antidotes are very exciting and very interesting because they have amazing mechanisms of action and they can potentially uh, change the clinical course uh, you know, in, at, at critical moments. However, remember that supportive care, intensive supportive care, good intensive supportive care often is, is more important. And using antidotes properly um, is very uh, is a very important skill, but also not using antidotes inappropriately is another more important skill. Um, the other uh, uh, the other uh, pearl I want to leave you with is you know remember that there are um, uh, usually publications related to therapies that work, so cases that 
had a good response, you know, are going to be published. Those that did not will not be published. So that, I think we call that publication bias. And uh, we have to be aware of that. Now there's, uh, for interlipids, for the lipid emulsion therapy, there are good animal studies that support its efficacy. There are some um, case series. Uh, again, you have to be careful when you interpret these. And often these patients are quite sick and they've already received what we say, what we call, uh, you know, in lay terms, uh, the kitchen sink. So discerning the benefit of an, one therapy is always challenging. This is why the American College of Medical Toxicology that I belong to has published uh, a position statement regarding uh, the interim guidance for the use of lipid resuscitation therapy. And uh, although we discuss the benefits of this therapy that are potentially uh, applicable, we do say that there, this is not considered yet as a standard of care. And we recommend that these therapies be administered usually in consultation with a medical toxicologist. And again, uh, relying on the appropriate dosing regimen and precautions that we discussed briefly today during our podcast. We really appreciate you highlighting those uh, clinical pearls. Um, although we consider lipid therapy and local anesthetic toxicity, in our case, the amlodipine toxicity, um, it is a multidisciplinary uh, approach. And I think the overall summary is that lipids may not be the true set answer, considering that really important uh, intensive care is going to be important, as well as um, there's still a lot that we still have to uh, learn about when it comes to uh, lipid therapy. Dr. Kamat, did you want to add anything for our listeners today? No, I think uh, uh, we are grateful to have uh, Dr. Ziad as the expert who has kind of shared some light on this lipid emulsion therapy. And we thank him for his time today. Thank you for having me.